Well, hi, folks. Welcome to another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is June the 22nd, 2022, and this is episode 3,110 of the Survival Podcast. I've got a guest coming on with me in just a moment. This is going to be with uh, Josh Phoenix, the renegade butcher. We're going to talk about decentralizing meat processing. And we're also going to talk about a lot of things that will be helpful to you if you just want to process meat at home. Even some cooking stuff, some gear stuff, it's all going to be really good. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Uh, sponsor day number one today is Start9 Embassy Servers. Uh, you know, guys, I, I want you to just think of two words when you hear Start9. The next two words I want you to think of after you hear that is digital sovereignty. Do you own your data, or do you use the cloud? Let me tell you something. There is no cloud. There's no such thing as the cloud. I know you hear about it. The cloud. I have my data in the cloud. I have my email in the cloud. There's no such thing as the cloud. There is no cloud. There's only somebody else's computer. If you do not own your data, somebody else has your data, and they may or may not be a good steward of it, and they may or may not lock you out of it, and they may or may not mine it and use it against you. They may or may not shut you down. How about if you had a way that you could send messages to your friends and family 100% encrypted through your own service, not even 100% encrypted through somebody else's service? Store all your images. Allow access to images to those that you want to. Run your own Bitcoin node. Run your own Litecoin node and a ton of other stuff and new stuff being added all the time. You can learn more at Start9.com. And guys, the discount you get if you are a member of my MSB on Start9 Embassy Servers is Huge. It's huge. It really is. And they don't give that discount anywhere else. Check them out today at start9.com. Next up, the Wealth Steading Podcast. The guy I always want to hear the opinion of when it comes to anything economic is John Pugliano, man. You got to check him out at wealthsteading.com. He has an incredible podcast. He's always got his finger on the pulse of the market, making smart investment decisions and passing that information on to you. He's also a wealth manager, something you can learn more about at investablewealth.com. Check him out today, though, at wealthsteading.com. With that, let's drop on into this interview again. Josh Phoenix, the renegade butcher. This was done as a live stream on YouTube and all the other video uh, networks. And we are live, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Survival Podcast. I think it's 3110, which looked weird when I put the number in. Um, I've got Josh Phoenix today. We're going to be talking about decentralizing meat processing in just a second. I need to put a disclaimer at the beginning of today's episode, though, at least for the live feed on the video. And I need to do this from now on. If you get a response from me in the uh, comments of any video, including this one, And it's got like a little icon that looks like it's me, like my little Val logo or something. It says contact me on WhatsApp or any shit like that. It is not me. I will never give you a way to contact me in the comments. If you want to contact me, use my email. If you can't figure out my email, being the most public email on planet Earth, you're not qualified to email me. But do not fall for scams in the comments. With that, hey, Josh, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, man, good to be here. Thanks for having me. 
I am excited to have you on. We were actually riffing about Bitcoin, but this is not an episode of the Bitcoin Breakout. Though, based on our conversation, I might have to have you back on just to talk about integrating Lightning and Bitcoin into your business. I'd love to. But we are going to talk about decentralization today. Awesome. And what I said when I promoted this episode was that – let me do a little adjustment there. Um, when I promoted this episode – I'm going to try that one more time. All right. Okay. When I promoted this episode that we're in desperate need of decentralizing meat processing, like if COVID didn't teach us anything, it should have taught us the dangers of being dependent on centralized systems. Absolutely. Before we get into that, though, like, tell us a little about who is Josh Phoenix, man? Cool name and all, but like, go back in, a, in, in like you're in high school, space and out or whatever, and how do you end up going from there to being like an entrepreneur, an agorist, a butcher, things like that? Right. Man, long story, but uh, I I actually grew up homeschooled. My parents were, uh, I mean, a little bit out there, kind of a super religious cultish in a way or whatnot. But uh, this was, I mean, then Y2K happened. I mean, but this stretched all the way back to uh, to before that. But I remember growing up as a kid, storing bags of uh, popcorn and stuff from Sam's Club away and all that fun stuff. And that kind of died back when all the panic and, you know, nothing actually ever happened. And then 9-11 happened. And uh, mm. for a long time, we didn't have TV. We didn't have much. I grew up uh, pretty much reading reading books. Mm. Uh, and then we got the Internet. We got TV, sort of kind of plunged into the real world and, and learned all about that. And uh, broke away, went to college for electronics engineering. I got into ham radio operating, and that uh, I thought for sure I wanted to get into electronics. That was my thing. Uh, went to school for that. I always worked at grocery stores coming up. Uh, my probably my first uh, real job though was mowing mowing lawns for the neighbor. So I kind of always had that little bit of a uh, entrepreneur angle to things. Uh, worked at a little grocery store. Went to school. Learned electronics. Uh, had a couple jobs in that. Made some poor decisions. Ended up back in the grocery industry. Never really did the meat processing side of things though. But then I started listening to this crazy guy uh, who was uh, driving around in a Jetta. And uh, <laughs> talking about how to, you know, make your life better, even if things get bad and uh, had some real cool ideas. So I got that bug and I was living up in the Midwest, uh, I ended up uh, starting up. I got tired of a bunch of crap at work, started up uh, my own kind of handyman general contractor business doing lawn care on the side. Um, kind of grew up in a construction project, so I, I knew a lot of things there and I sort of faked it till I made it. And. Kept that going, did that for two or three years and uh, really enjoyed it. But uh, then the opportunity came up to move to Texas because I could actually get on some land and do some homesteading. I uh, could actually find some lands that was affordable. Ended up down here and I didn't want to tote everything down with me and try to just rebuild my business with a bunch of competition. So I started up uh, looking around for side jobs. There's a place down the road for me that was doing just, you know, entry level seasonal deer processing. Jumped in there uh, by... The beginning of the following year, I was cutting for their retail meat case. Uh, I was doing a bunch of stuff there, ended up in a management position, worked three, four years there, kind of learned meat cutting, took to it. It was one of those things I fell into that and it's like, man, I can do this. I know how to do this. I, I can run a knife, you know, and <laughs> I guess when you find that thing that just clicks, you go with it. So, uh, and, you know, long story short, place ended up uh, down the road, opening up an actual processor. I jumped in with them. They were building an actual uh, inspected kill floor, 
and uh, doing full like hanging beef processing and whatnot. I helped them build that up. Uh, it was about a year or two till they were going, uh, but I kind of got on the ground floor with that, learned along with them. And I actually ran the, uh, along with the USDA inspector beside me, ran the, the slaughter side of it. Uh, I came in and did the full hanging beef, sausage production, you name it, pretty much did everything but, uh, but run their books. And then COVID hit. And uh, probably before that, one of the biggest calls we'd get in was like, hey, look, we've got an animal that's down. We've got this problem going on. We've got something that doesn't want to load the trailer. Can you all come to us? Nobody wants to do that. None of these guys, these brick-and-mortar establishments, want to come to you and help you out. They can't. Now, COVID started, and all of the big processors, not all of them, but a bunch of them shut down because they're all afraid. Oh, my gosh, my COVID's. I'm going to get sick. Can't have that many people in, pro- in you know one place at a time. What happens when you just shut those big processors down? Everybody who needs process goes to the little guys. So we were way overloaded. I mean, just to the brim. Now, the guy who owned the place actually kind of made his money doing insurance sales. This was a side thing for a family member. And then he kind of saw dollar signs. And the whole culture of the place changed. It wasn't about the quality anymore. It was about the money. Uh, it came in with that business mindset. And let's cut all the corners we can and try to milk as much money out as possible. So a lot of things were going on that I wasn't okay with. Uh, I decided to exit and I did it right in the middle of the, the COVID fear, but it was probably the best time for me to, to do anything like that. Because when you're at the time, and even still today, if you breed meat processing, you're going to be busy because nobody can get anything done. Right now, I know folks that Six months to a year out right now, they are booked, completely booked. You can't get anything done. You cannot get anything in. It's crazy. And I have never seen a shift more towards decentralized, towards on-farm, towards buying directly from the farmer than I have in the last couple of years. And it's it's exactly what we need. If you're not raising it and processing it yourself, you should know where it came from, and you should have a relationship with that animal and understand it, I feel like. So I went out and started processing for people. I, I, I took a couple of days after I finally quit the job because I was just done. And uh, I, I moped for a bit and then went out on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace all over. I was like, man, Butcher, I've got, I've got a car. I've got knives. I'll show up. We'll make it work. And, you know, let's, uh, let's back up real quick on something, though, because this is something I've said, too. I'm not a professional butcher, but I am a meat cutter, a butcher. I, I slaughter my own animals. I've been – I think I processed my first deer on my own when I was 13 years old. And mm-hmm. – I remember, like, cutting the steaks and having them not look so great. And right. Kind of, like, upset about it and what have you. And my grandfather coming out and take, we, they were just, like, basically back leg steaks. And right. taking the other yeah. back leg and let's, let's throw it in the freezer for a little bit, get that meat really cold and showing me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And then cutting those perfect-looking steaks, right? <laughs> right? And then being, like, oh. chill on it. Right. And then like you, you actually get a lot of pleasure from it. And I, oh, I, I've talked about how like I enjoy cutting meat. Like when I'm butchering a deer, I can break a deer down in 15 minutes. If I just want to get it broke down into sections and pieces and pull oh, yeah. the back straps off and either section them or chop them or whatever. Yep. But it usually takes me more like an hour and a half, and I've got, like, some classic rock playing, and I'm drinking a beer, and I'm oh, yeah. hanging and out, and the dog's sitting there, like, where's my piece, Dad? And, like, it's it, the whole thing is enjoyable. And when I tell people that, I think it's kind of weird, like I'm Dexter, you know, from the, from the series <laughs> on Showtime or something, like I want to cut people over something. Right. And it's not like that at all. It's like, this is yeah. going to nourish me. This is going to feed me. There's or somebody else. And there's something about that that I think is very 
It's, it's, I, I think this is really weird. It's almost spiritual. It hits a it hits a primal part of us. I know so. I mean, for a lot, think about it. For this tiny portion of you know human survival that we're that we're in, you know, this this modern age, it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the times that humans have been on this planet. And the majority of that time, we've gone out and hit things in the head with rocks and ate them. So there's something about yeah. about this that's in us that's an innate part of it. And I'll tell people this all the time too, you know, I, I enjoy my work. Now I say I don't enjoy the act of showing up at your house and killing an animal for you. I no. don't enjoy the death no. part of it or not. But at the same time, I enjoy the fact that I'm good at what I do and I know the fact that I have done the best job for the animal because I have the experience of doing this thousands of times. I know that that animal had a cleaner, better end and you're going to get a better end result from it than if somebody who was unskilled did it. So there's an enjoyment there for me. Uh, and I think that comes with any profession. If you're good at what you do, you enjoy it. Uh, but the actual cutting portion of it, it is an art. You yeah. know, it, it's yeah. an art form in and of itself. And uh, I guess like anything else, you know, either you take to it or you don't. Yeah. I mean, I remember back when I was a kid one time watching some sort of a, like a science show on cavemen or something, right? Yeah. And they showed this caveman with this hunk of, you know, probably buffalo or whatever the hell it was. And he had just right. like a sharp piece of flint. <laughs> and he was making jerky out of it. And he's had like, he's like just slicing through this meat with this piece of like flint. You Not a knife, just a piece of flint. Right. And like two days later, I'm out with a piece of freaking shale because we had no flint. <laughs> right. And I'm trying to use a piece of shale to like slice through a freaking squirrel I shot with a pellet gun. Like, yep. I think there is something primal. There is. I think there is. You know, thing, I mean, right? it's a part of who we are and it's a part of how we've survived for the longest time. And I think there is something to the idea of genetic memory. You know, it's just something that calls inside of us. Sort of like anything, herbalism even, you know, there are certain things that you just, you get a feel for it. Absolutely. So you started focusing more on consultations and doing a lot of content creation, is there a reason for that? Well, I, I did what I was doing for about two years. Um, and Now, I can't speak for other states. In the state of Texas, there's an exemption on the books. that's the personal use exemption. It basically okay. says as long as it's your meat, your property, you know, it doesn't ever go anywhere else. You can do whatever you want. The state has no jurisdiction to inspect. So I said, right. okay, you know, read it every which way from Sunday, printed out a copy, kept it with me. And I was like, I'm not taking anybody's meat. And I'm showing up and doing it for them. Yeah. After two years of doing that, I finally had a few other competitors popped up in the area. Somebody called something in on Facebook, and I had the old state inspector, knock, knock, shows up at one of my customers' place, a little slap on the wrist, and he's like, you can't do this. I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You need to have a license to do custom exam processing. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, that's his meat. It's his property. It's not going anywhere. You know, I'm like, here's, slap it down. Here's the the legislation. He goes, yeah, yeah, okay, well, you can read it that way, but that's not how we're going to enforce it. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. So, and I could probably go before a judge, take it to court if I wanted to, but, uh, you know, there's also that, do I want to go to war with the state of Texas health department, have them after my ass my whole career. So the path to actually getting that custom exempt license on a mobile standpoint is doable. I've just got to buy a truck outfit to get the state to approve it and everything. And I'm going down that path, but it's going to take a little while to get there. So in the meantime, keep kind of keep my nose clean. Uh, I've actually started doing more of the educational side. I got a lot of folks that actually, even while I was just doing the processing, would hire me to learn how to do it themselves. In fact, they'd be sitting there, uh, you know, I'm cutting up their meat and I'm, they're packaging, they're learning with the process. They say, man, our intention of hiring you was to learn what you're doing one time with this cow and then never, never have you back, but you'll be back next yeah. time because we didn't know how much work was involved. Uh, but there's a huge desire for it. 
And, well, I've decided to really start pushing that out. So for now, I may not be able to show up and process your animal without the state license, but I can, and I've cleared this with inspectors on the phone. I can rent you equipment. I can show up and teach you how to do it. You got the knife in your hand. You I was going to say, is that, your, is that your out? Is that your status jujitsu, right? That Like, yeah, exactly. if I'm That's not exactly being it. hired as a butcher, right? I'm a consultant. Uh, I, I am here. I'm an educator. I am training this person how to do their own butchering. Yeah. And, and this was a, you know, maybe I got like a focus thing going on there. There's, there's uh, like this, this, he was just a really shitty student and I had to do all right. this before, exactly. right? I had to jump in there and show up, you know? Yeah. But, well, and I even had the say, I, I asked that state inspector too. I said, so you're telling me I can't do this. Now I said, if your butt, my buddy calls me up and says, Hey man, I've got a cow. You know what you're doing. Can I come? Can you come help me? Yeah. He goes, Man, I, I'll tell you this way. He goes, if I was doing that, if my buddy called me, I would go help him. But I wouldn't have a, a paper record showing that I did it or took any money for it. I'd just say, hey, I came over and helped my buddy out for a couple of beers. Hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Good to know. That kind of thing. So there's there's ways around it, but you've got to be careful. And like I said, I'm trying to get that going as a big part of my business. So I want to keep everything clean with the state. But I think there's a huge need for people to be able to learn how to do this themselves. So I decided, you know, not only do I want to educate people, so I started it up as a consultancy side. That's why I branched off from, I do pasture to plate processing for the processing side. Right now I mainly do wild game for that. Uh-oh. No, I'm, try, I'm trying I'm to trying to put you just – Yeah, I know your camera's goofy, but yeah. it happens. Keep but, going. Uh, yeah, so I, I was doing pasture to plate processing. And that's been what I've processed under. Uh, I still do wild game because it falls under a whole different uh, umbrella with the state. It's it's under game wardens and stuff that's like that. Right. So, you know, that that's all in the clear. But uh, I didn't want to confuse folks. I didn't want everybody calling me up and being like, why can't you process my – because people don't understand. So I started Liberty Meat Solutions as my consultant side. And I'm hoping to branch it into more than just me. I'd like to make it people all over the country or world or whatnot. You can have a local person you can call up and be like, hey – let me get this person on the horn or out here to help me out and let me learn. Um, and I don't personally professionally do poultry. I just do a few coals of myself and everything like that. But there's a huge demand for learning how to process poultry, rabbits and things like that. So I started up the podcast. I got a little kick in the ass from Brian Norton and some other folks really kind of uh, pushing me to do more with it. I tried to about a year ago, never really committed to it. Uh, and now I'm, I'm kind of, angling that a little bit more and uh, trying to get, get that out there. I've been interviewing a lot of people that do stuff that I don't do uh, and just trying to use that to bring, bring focus and, you know, more people over to, over to the side of decentralized meat, do it yourself, learn to be independent. Don't have to depend on somebody with a brick and mortar establishment and a state license to do what you can do at home. Yeah. Definitely. And I do think the whole, yeah, I'm just there to help, right? Like, oh, cause I'm not marketing my services as a custom butcher. I'm marketing my services as a homestead educator. I sat on the phone with that inspector too. And I said, so is there any issue? I said, with me doing this as a consultancy type thing, cause there's no license in the state of Texas required to be an educator on yeah. processing, you know? Yeah. I said, for the one thing, it's the crazy thing is, you know, people are going to do this themselves. The world yeah. is so crazy right now. People don't have a choice. If somebody has something going on, they're going to have to do it themselves yeah. if they don't have a butcher spot. So I said, so what's better from the state's perspective of you say you're worried about public health? What's better for somebody to go out, figure it out themselves, maybe YouTube University it, maybe. They probably won't until they get into, uh, you know, into trouble. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or have somebody who literally has this as a background and knows how to do it, you know, even with, under a state inspection with, with that level of competency, show up and actually teach you how to do it. So how is it you're saying that I'm endangering public health because I'm unlicensed, even though people are going to do this? We all know that they health, have no and health and license go together, right? Like, yeah, of course. As soon as you course, have a piece of paper, everything's healthy. And when you don't, like E. coli just crawls well, down the walls. and like We know that no matter what – at a government inspected facility, there's no way you could ever catch a foodborne illness, illness right? No. I mean, there's there's no way there would ever be a recall on like lettuce or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But she pretty much agreed with it. They understand. They're excited about having me trying to do this, but of course they have to do things their way. So I I asked her. I said, Hey, look, is there any issue with me doing this educational side? She goes, I don't think so. But you may want to be careful about your liability. You might tell somebody something wrong. I said, So how's my liability? any greater educating somebody how to do this themselves than it would be if I showed up and did it to themselves. I said, so if I have a state license and I show up and I screw up, is the state going to cover my ass? No. So my no. liability isn't and it's definitely, it's actually infinitely lower if I'm just telling somebody how to screw it up themselves, right? You know, honestly, you know? when you have somebody from the state telling you, you might want to worry about your liability, that's, yeah. I know you're trying to be nice and get along, but it's like, maybe you need to stay in your freaking wheelhouse about things that you know something about. Exactly, right? exactly. Which I like to that is, because it's clearly said, not well, public safety either, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I said, so is there any issue if I have this equipment and I rent it to my customer for them to use? She goes, well, I don't think so. You might want to have some sort of let, rental insurance. And I was like, oh, just like yeah, I might, right have, wheelhouse, right? <laughs> might want to have insurance if I have this equipment and I show up on their site with it in the back of a truck and do it there, right? Okay. Well, yeah. I was like, okay, so basically it's the same thing, except for I don't need to be licensed to show up and teach them how to do this. So yeah. that's what I've been focusing on now. It will be beneficial to me. And it will be able to – if I get this truck set up the way I want, it will be great because I'm going to set it up with cameras and everything. And everything will be publicly legal, on the books. And I can sit there with a customer's animal and do full-on demonstrations of how to do the cuts and whatnot. And I'm, I'm planning on adding that into the podcast and educational type thing because there's only so much one guy in Southeast Texas can do to educate sure. people showing up on site. I'd like to broaden that. That's why I really got into the podcast and the consultation side because there's a huge demand, like not just nationwide but worldwide for people wanting to learn to do it. And, you know, larger livestock, which is what I focus on, you know, pigs, cattle, sheep, goats, things like that, If you, even if you have hunted deer and done that stuff yourself – a thousand pound animal is intimidating and there's a lot it's of things totally that go different. Wrong. It's totally <laughs> different, man. Like that's why I've said, I always, if, if I do any ruminants on property, one property size alone, but two, mm -hmm. uh, you know, processing ability, right? Like yep. probably sheep, because I can process a lamb exactly like I do a deer. I mean, sheep or goats, you can do exactly like deer if need be. And you know, smaller breed pigs honestly are not that, that out of the realm. No. No, if you're talking like a couple hundred pound pig, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's like a deer, right? But when you start talking in the multiple hundreds of pounds, I mean, to give you an idea, I don't even have a proper, uh, uh, like winter gambrel any, anymore mm -hmm. because where I usually hunt deer, there's a place to do it right there. So I bring deer home in quarters and in coolers, right? Yep. But, so the last time I had a deer that I had to process here, I took a picnic table in my garage. I threw two, uh, ratchet straps up over the girders in my garage. Put yep. them around, put them through the, the, the tendons in the back legs mm -hmm. and attached them to a picnic table, drug yep. the picnic table and threw a couple 25 pound barbell plates on it to counterbalance it 
and threw a big piece of cardboard underneath the 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 thing. And then set the dog traps for an hour and a half while I listen to music, right? So like it's infinitely better than somebody doing it out in the woods on the ground and yeah. it ends up covered in, you know, yopon leaves and freaking uh, pine needles and this was a little buck that some truck tapped in the ribs and killed on the side of the road a mile down the road, right? So I was like right. and I was actually going hunting the next morning. And I'm like, I can't like it just got hit like five minutes ago. It's still the blood's still warm. Like I can't not pick this up. And yep. then I'm trying to see where it got hit, and I'm like, I I can't even tell where. And when I skinned it, dude, it had a black and blue mark the size of a 50-cent piece on one part of the ribs. And it must have been like the bumper of a high truck. Tapped it, broke a piece of the um, bone out of one of the ribs, went into the lungs, and shredded the lungs. There was yeah, probably got tapped in 70 miles an hour with a spotlight. Yeah, it was less meat damage than if you shot it with a 30-30. It was yeah. beautiful. You'll anyway, well, let's talk about large animals because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the largest thing I ever processed was a young uh, elk. Mm-hmm. That's, so, that's that was a bitch, right? That was yeah. that was work. And you start thinking about, like, 750,000-pound animal. You're talking about some significant issues. I've seen people use the front end of a front-end loader to lift yeah. one up or whatever, and you still height this, you still like, what are your biggest challenges when somebody's like, yeah, I got this beef cow and right. I want you to come help me with this. Teach me how to do it, whatever. <laughs> what are your biggest challenges in, in dealing with that? First thing that I'll ask them is, do you guys have a tractor? If you yeah. have a tractor, preferably with a loader, there are ways around it if you don't, but uh, if they have a tractor, that solves 95% of the problems. Uh, and, Ideally, when you're dealing with beef cattle, you're looking at you need at least 10 and a half, 11, preferably 12 foot of height. So the front end loader off of a medium to large size tractor is about perfect. Uh, And typically, if you're raising beef, most of the time folks have a tractor or their neighbor does because they're moving hay bales or doing things like that. Most folks that live in an area where you got space for cattle can get a hold of a tractor. That's usually not maybe two or three times out of like a couple of hundred. I've had somebody that just did not have a tractor or didn't have it with a loader. And I'll tell you what, you can go to Harbor Freight and really cheap pick up uh, like a one-ton chain hoist that will lift any cow. If you've got a beam or a tree limb, that will support that weight. Yeah. Now, you've got to deal with the gamble. Will it support the weight, right? Yeah, you've got to make sure. Don't put that up in some chintzy little garage with like one-inch tubing and uh, expect it to – yeah, yeah. Just cover your bases. You know, you yeah. depends on the size of the animal. Some A fully finished uh, like show cow could be like – Close to a ton. I've, I've seen some cattle that were like 1,900 pounds. So yeah, make sure it can handle that weight. Uh, tractors, I think, are easier, though, because you know how it is. If you have a gambrel and you hang it up, you've got a single point of contact on that chain. So yeah. you start breaking meat off. You know, you get that, that seesaw effect. Yeah. With a tractor, you can wrap a log chain up around that loader and spread that chain out. You can get stainless steel S-hooks off of Amazon or wherever. Uh, I can put a link up. But and you can link those things up in the chain and get them back behind those hawks to raise it up to do the skinning or whatnot. Now the other biggest issue, typically, I will ask folks. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do about cooling this carcass? Because that is a major uh, concern when it comes to you've got this much beef. You're there are folks out there. There are several other processors I've worked with them. I know them personally in the state of Texas that they do on-site processing and they hot cut. They do it all. Break it all down hot, vacuum seal it, you put it in your fridge, and if you want to age it and let it come out of rigor mortis, you sit it in your refrigerator, and it's the same thing as wet aging that the big stores do. Yeah. But 
most folks who have never done this before are not really going to be confident or competent enough to break that carcass down in a reasonable amount of time before food safety is an issue. You know, if you've yeah. never deboned a whole cow before and you're not going to get it done in like less than a couple hours and you're probably not going to have a clue what the heck you put in the bag. So I always recommend people try to chill it as much as possible. That's a big carcass though. Most people don't have a walk-in cooler. I think I have about a half dozen customers that are working with me because they know they want to do this routinely have put in walk-in coolers themselves on their property. And I'll say, if you like to do large animals, you want to raise them, you want to process it yourself, or you have a homestead and you go, gee, I really could use some more refrigeration for all this garden. You can build a walk-in cooler for a couple thousand dollars with a cool bot type system. Okay. Uh, and that works really well. But we found some other cheats. We probably did 50 or 60 one year this way. Uh, if you've got a couple or you can squirrel up or find a couple of large chest freezers, I mean, stand yeah. work too, but chest freezers a little bit easier. Uh, you can get temperature regulators, put those on that freezer and hold it right at, I like 36 degrees. And you can run that thing like a refrigerator. Your biggest concerns in that situation though, are you want to make sure there's plenty of good airflow around that piece of meat. Because you take a big, I'm sure you've done this with deer before. You've seen people do it. If you pile a bunch of meat in, it doesn't matter if there's ice on top, ice in the bottom, that meat in the middle stays warm long enough, it's going to start turning green. you got to make sure that that whole carcass can get chilled down. Um, so you want to break it down into smaller sections. Make sure there's good airflow. If you can put a rack on the bottom, keep it up off, out of any potential, like, you know, sweat or water. Yeah, that's good. Going, and I'm going to get cooler open for about three to four inches until that temp comes down to about 45. Because gotcha. those test freezers seal in that heat, and it'll stay hot in there for a while. But they do work really well. And, and keep going, but I'm going to show people here. The, oh, you mentioned about using a chest freezer. This is exactly yeah. what I use for that. Those are right awesome. Here. Controls. Yep. Johnson Controls thermostat, and it's got a probe. And you have to just mm-hmm. disable the freezer's ability to self-regulate its temperature. Basically, then, all I do is I, I turn the freezer all the way up, turn the dial all the way to cold. Um, I've okay. actually got some that are, uh, shoot, I'm trying to remember the brand. It might be MB Link or something like that. Uh, I've got some folks that have done uh, the same with some of the Inkbird controllers. The ones that I get will switch up to, I think, 25 amps, 20 or 25. So they'll handle big old-style freezers. And they're only about yeah. 35, 40 bucks on Amazon. I'll have to okay. them for them. And they're reliable as heck. I've got a half dozen of them. I keep them around. I lend them out to customers. Uh, they're they're We've done, like I said, 50 or 60 head in those situations, and uh, I've had something I've aged up to three weeks before. Uh, now, you don't have the same airflow you have in a walk-in cooler. You've got to deal no. with that. You might have some more humidity things. There's some considerations, but it's definitely doable, and that allows you to be able to actually chill it down, let that carcass rest just like it would be if it was hanging in a cooler, come out of rigor mortis, but you also have the ability to take that out a section at a time and work through it. You can watch stuff for me. Bearded Butchers has a great YouTube uh, channel on a lot of this stuff. And you can learn, you can take your time with it, basically. Because, heck, if you take one hind quarter of beef and slap that thing on a table, the average person who's never done that, it's going to take you all day to get through, to really learn yeah. how to do it the right way. It's a lot of meat. Yeah. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, is to try to help people learn solutions. It's achievable at home, but you've got you've to think ahead and plan on this. But then the other thing is, so if you raise cattle, even if you raise a couple hundred head of cattle, say you have an animal breaks its leg. If that animal okay. cannot walk under its own power, there is not a processor 
anywhere in the state of Texas or probably the United States that can, you might find one that will, but they cannot legally take that animal in if it can't walk under its own power. It's okay. state law. They can get themselves shut down. Uh, and it's some, even if it's for you, it's some bullshit about being concerned about food safety, whatever. But there's a lot of animals that I've had this happen to. Emergency calls. What do I do? If you're prepared to handle that yourself, I mean, if a $35 regulator and an extra chest freezer you have sitting off in your, your barn somewhere gives you the ability to take care of that and not waste meat, even if you can only harvest part of that, it's better than shoving it in a hole somewhere. So real quick, when I was talking about the chest freezer and the disabling, I mm -hmm. think I scrambled a brain cell there. So I built a huge keyser and I built mm -hmm. a collar for it out of two by 12s. Yep. And this is a massive, people that have been here have seen it. It's a huge keyser. For, and I can store like 12, 12 corny kegs in it. That's how big it is. So nice. you could probably get a cow in it. Probably. Um, but what I had to disable wasn't the, the self-regulation of the freezer because the control mechanism basically powers on and off the, right. the freezer right. itself and maintains the temperature you want instead mm -hmm. of the temperature it wants. But um, with that collar, the cool thing is, and we, I've done this with deer to hang like quarters of a deer. Mm -hmm. You can throw some bars across it, pull all your keyser shit out of it. So you're only using it to chill meat when you need when to chill meat. It. And you right. can actually you hang it. it. You can yeah. actually hang it vertically in there and you get a lot better air exchange. So oh, nice, nice. That's I've done what that I was getting brain scrambled that. Uh, I've, I've used some large computer fans before in them that have worked. Yeah, like I said, initially cool you that cracked. Um, another thing that does work, if you can have like a baking, like a, like a, a cake pan that you can yeah. sit over to the side, like over on the hump above the compressor, fill it up with rock salt. You don't want that like in contact with the meat, but you yeah. can have that fan blowing across it. And as it circulates air inside there, that pulls a lot of moisture out of the air. Which yeah. can be the issue. If you're going to have a mold problem, it's going to be because of excessive moisture. So very, very cool. All right. So, um, kind of hitting on that now. What, what can go wrong when people are processing at home? Like too much well, moisture and you obviously, yeah, you can, you can have, if you don't have a way to cool that carcass, you're in a bind. If you don't have a way to lift or move that carcass, you're in a bind. So you probably, I would advise anybody to think ahead about that, even if you aren't planning on processing it yourself, because you never know what could go wrong. You know, you never know. You, heck, you might one night walk outside and there's a 300-pound sow, wild hog, in your backyard tearing up your garden. And you shoot that thing and you're going to be glad you had the opportunity or the availability to be able to take care of that. So it's it's not that expensive. It's smart to have that set up. Uh, the other things that can go wrong, though, are typically going to be more on the slaughter side because um, – there can be a bit that goes into it, doing a, a cow or something properly. Actually, pigs can be more difficult. So you really want to, if you're planning to do it on purpose, you want to study the proper shot placement for okay. stunning or killing a cow, uh, what calibers you want to use, how to do that the right way, and ideally confine that animal if you can. It's a whole different world when you've got an animal like a cow in a squeeze chute or a small pen. You can walk up with that 22 right on the forehead, put it in the right spot, Lights out, bleed it, done. If it's out running in the pasture doing its thing and you're out there trying to snipe it with a deer rifle, a cow's a big animal and a lot of things can go wrong and I've seen them go wrong. So be prepared to try to do that the right way. And I think that's probably the majority of times that people kind of screw stuff up. Uh, keep, I mean, and also when you're processing the animal, have them in mind that you're wanting to work on it a section at a time. You don't want that meat getting warm. You don't want it sitting out. You don't want to slap half the cow down, 
on your picnic table, walk away, have 15 beers, come back and start on it two hours later and then wonder why everybody's, you know, going through the screen door afterwards. <laughs> but my experience dealing with a lot of guys who've grown up hunting and learned from daddy and granddaddy and whatnot is a lot of people don't understand food safety. They don't understand what's involved with that and the hygiene of it and everything like that. So coming from my background, it seems second nature to me. And then before that grocery stores, you know, running the produce department, there's certain things that are kind of ingrained to you of this is how you handle food. If you haven't been in that neighborhood, it does matter and you can get yourself really sick if you're not careful about handing it right or handling it right. So keep that in mind. And uh, if you're not sure on it, ask somebody who knows. Yeah, definitely. I know I had to get into a different mindset when I moved to Texas. Yeah. So being a hunter, right? Yeah. (laughs) Being a hunter in Pennsylvania at the time of the year, you're shooting a deer. There's rare occasions when it's warm out, but they're rare. The most time you can hang it from the tree and let it chill overnight. We literally, that was the thing that people did. You brought your deer home, you left the hide on it, you strung it up in the tree, you left it there for a day or two, you drug it down the basement, you cut the back legs off, you had a couple nails in the the joists of the basement roof, you stuck it up on there, you skinned it, it was nice and stiff, it it passed through, you quartered it, you could hang the quarters down there if it was cold enough. If not, you threw them in an old refrigerator for a day or two, and you, you did your work from there. Exactly. You, I still enjoy, and I take my time doing it, but it it is seldom cold enough you can't that, that I would let a deer hang in my garage here in Texas. If it is cold enough, it's for like a weekend of the year, and that's well, it. Well, and it could be, and then all of a sudden at like noon, the sun's like, hey, I feel like coming out now, and it goes now from like 55 degrees, though. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, we're like PA. You were taking it down in the cellar so it wouldn't freeze. Right. I've been in a lot of discussion groups with folks that you know just just deer processing because that's what I do three to four months of the year. I'm I'm hold up processing other people's deer. So uh, I, some good customers of mine that I was doing their processing for them put in a small shop and a walk-in cooler and stuff for me just to do their stuff. And before everything kind of went sideways, but it's been beneficial for all of us because it's right near a national forest. A bunch of people hunt. They all hunt, you know, so they kind of get their own private butcher. I'm, I do 100, 200 deer a year okay. on site there with a little walking cooler, and it's 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 really cool. Uh, but I'm in all these different processing groups, people talking about it, and everybody up north gives everybody down in the south a bunch of crap. Like, I never let my deer meat touch ice. It waters it down, blah, blah, yeah. blah. It's like, man, you don't understand. You don't live in reality, right? Really. down here. It's 85 degrees when I'm shooting a deer. I, if yeah. I don't ice that thing, I'm losing it, you know? Yeah. So there, you've yeah. got to be able to adapt and deal with that. And I've had cattle that were iced and done the same way. I don't prefer it because, yeah, you can't have water absorption, soggy yeah. meat. There are considerations. There's ways to get around that. But, I mean, ideally, I hang deer up in a walking cooler like a deer. I tell yeah. all the people who hunt close by, I said, dude, don't even gut it. If you shoot it and you can get it to me within an hour, I'll just hang it up, skin it like a cow, gut it right on site. Everything will be washed down. I have to deal with hair and leaves and all that stuff and you got it in the field and it's just going to, you're going to get a better yield out of it, but not everybody's in that position. You've got to be able to work with what you've got, but at the same time, do what you can to make sure that the situation that you're in and the, the facilities you have are as good as possible. So you get the most out of it. I think, you know, especially if you're raising animals, you know, this is part of it. It's going to happen. So do your homework now. So down the line, when, if you do decide to do it yourself, you can do that animal justice and get the most for your family. So have you had any negative reactions to 
your business or what you do at all other than I the mean, state? Because the state doesn't really count. The state's the state, always right. Negative. I mean, if we want to count the state, yeah, no. Uh, the only other really major negative reaction I had was actually from, uh, well, so when I first started out, there was nobody else really in the state. I mean, there was a couple of people in the state doing like on-site slaughter, not really the processing side, but there was no laws on the books. There was no path to legally get a, a custom exempt processing license okay. uh, in the state of Texas. So when I started up, just as a courtesy, I reached out to the people who were actually kind of doing similar to what I was doing. And I said, hey, I'm over here. I'm away from y'all. I don't want to step on your toes, but here's what I'm doing. You know, nice to meet you. And it worked out really well because we kind of were cordial back and forth. And if somebody wasn't closer to me or them, we'd pass people back and forth. Sure. And uh, then all of a sudden, somebody came out of nowhere, uh, kind of, I guess, kissed the state's ass and said, we'll do whatever we need to to make this happen from a mobile standpoint. They didn't advertise. They didn't do anything. They showed up, got came out and advertised. We're the first state-licensed mobile processor in the state of Texas. And uh, really, honestly, poor business uh, you know, decisions there, like getting in public flame wars with people on their Facebook page, you know, arguing with their customers. I could go on. I don't want to trash talk anybody. But what they started doing really underhanded was any of us who had actually been in, you know, already doing this, they started trash talking us or throwing the state our way. Reporting say, this is probably where the whole state problem came from because much. it's a complaint-driven system. If I'm coming to your they, house they to do, do anything, anything at your house, the state generally doesn't know jack shit about it anyway, no. right? Like people well, show up at other people's house and smoke dope all the time in states where that's still illegal and no one bothers them. Nobody cares. Right. It's exactly. a complaint. But it's when your neighbor's like, hey, man, I think there's some hippie smoking dope next door. <laughs> that the man shows up. Right. Because somebody actually called somebody him. Bitch. Right. So somebody their ass kicked. Bitch. When, right? like that's, when one of two actual st- enforcement officers with the state health department showed up to talk to me. There's only two in the whole state. One took yeah. out of his side, you know, they out of his day to come visit me. He, uh, they had a whole file on social media stuff. They've been watching me for years on, on Facebook, whatever. I, yeah. out there advertising, showing what I've been doing, but yeah. nothing could ever be acted on until there was a legitimate complaint filed. And what really finally screwed me was I had, my workman set up at one point, you know how they have those hitch racks on the back of a truck. You can hang a deer. Yeah. Or whatnot. I had one, a guy had custom welded up, would hold about 300 pounds, set up an electric winch and everything like that. I had it rigged out. I had a little, little rack wash sink. Uh, I had a, a patio umbrella pop up over top if I'm working in the sun and uh, I'd show up at, at your place. I could do like small stock that way. Well, I had a guy that uh, called me up. He had a goat residential backyard we took care of it i had a picture of that goat hanging on the back you know and i was like hey if you've got small livestock and you don't have a tractor or whatnot we can come take care of you yeah they called that in as an illegal mobile or an unlicensed mobile processing unit and that was the first thing the state could act on so they showed up you know he was a real cool guy it was one of those look we're not going to try to shut you down here's what we got to play here's the game we got to play you know i like what you're doing everything's clean everything's sanitized honestly your labels are legal by the state if even if you were licensed here's the information you need to get it going i'm not shutting you down i'm like oh but you are you're asking me to pull twenty five thousand dollars out of my ass and set this up so yeah my friends that I've worked with directly a little bit west of me out towards San Antonio, they uh, went through the same thing where same folks reported them uh, about a year before me. And uh, 
they had six months after they finally got everything set up before the state came and looked at it. So this, this no, sounds no like problem. we we need like a marketing mechanism for people in your business. That's like it, we market it as like farm hands Inc. or farm hand for a day. Right. This is all we the shit so. I can do. And this is all the tools that I own. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, cause like if I hire you to come out and help mend my fence, it's good that you have fencing pliers. Yeah. And if exactly. I'm hiring you because I need some help today butchering my cow, it's good that you have steel hooks. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So it's like you're a contractor then for farm hands or that's homestead helpers or some shit. And you, you can only talk to us in a private group that we have to let you into. And oh, you're fed. Fuck off. Like, yeah, I mean, exactly. like, like the, the parallel economy thing, like freedom sells meets butchering, right? Like, exactly, exactly. And I'd love to sit back. I, I know there's a bunch of stuff going on with the food church idea and whatnot, and I want to investigate a lot of that kind of stuff too. Uh, what burns me up is I had this whole discussion with this inspector, and I said, you know, so if, if one of these guys I work with needs some help on their barbed wire fence, they can hire me to come out, right? And I don't need some kind of license to come out as a contractor yeah. or work on his barbed wire fence because it's his fence on his property. I'm not taking a fence home with me, right? So how's that different? And he goes, because to do this in the state of Texas and to advertise and take money, that's the thing is the you have to have a license to do it professionally. And I said, oh, okay, so I can do it for free for a friend, right? And he's like, yeah, okay. I'm over here in the back of my head going, yeah, okay, well, if they pay me in Bitcoin, you don't know. But, you know, that's that's one of those things that you take that risk. You're going to play that game. I'm trying to do this professionally, so I'm trying to keep it on the up and up. I'm yeah. not telling anybody don't do it, but yeah. you might get that knocked like I do. And if you do, you know what? Yeah. Play dumb. You get probably get one free pass. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to be too hard on you because they know, these guys know how hard it is to get stuff processed. And they want to see more people open up and process, but they also want them underneath the state's thumb. So that's that's the world that we're in. And it's silly that we even have to have that as consideration. But <laughs> well, I mean, I look at it like Daniel says here, consultant and tool rental. So yep. like when I the first time I ever rented an excavator, uh, I was like, I've, I've used one a little bit. And the guy's like, well, the guy that delivers, it'll go over it with you. So he came out and he showed me how to dig with it a little bit and, and hold my, my level a little bit better. And like right. 10 minutes of help was really beneficial in using it. And yeah. so that's the same thing. You're it's just showing me how all this thing. stuff works, right? You know, what comparison I make, I said is, you know, so if, if you have a big old tomato garden and you don't want to mess with it, you hire the neighbor kid. You say, Hey man, I'll give you 20 bucks to go out and pick every tomato out there for me. That's right. Go ahead. Just put it on my back porch. You know, 20 bucks is waiting for you there. Does that child need to have a food handling safety license or whatnot to come in and do that? No. no. But you know what? Give the state half a chance. Eventually, that'll be the reality we're living in. Well, the goal of the state is to have a license for everything so that exactly. everything can be regulated and controlled. Exactly. So we have to stay one step ahead. But the one thing that stays constant, at least in the state of Texas and to my knowledge in every other state. Now, there may be some that's more of a pain in the ass than others for yeah. you and your family and your own consumption. As long as it is at your residence on your own property, yeah. you do not need a license. The state does not have jurisdiction to inspect your own meat processing. Now, as soon as you... As soon as you start passing that meat out to somebody, yeah, yeah. To them, the verbiage is your family, you know, and unpaid guests. So if you have a barbecue and you're not charging, you're probably in the clear. Yeah. Uh, so just, you know, do your due diligence. Look up your local uh, legislations and your local regulations. Know exactly. If you're going to break a law, know what laws you're breaking ahead of time. 
uh, find those loopholes, but most of the time you're in the clear doing it. But you may have a hard time hiring somebody like me to come and help you in your region. I think that's that tide is turning, though. There's a yeah. lot more interest in that mobile on-site type thing, and somebody can show up, and if not, actually do it, teach you how to do it, because there's a huge need for it. Here's you know, another possible layer of jujitsu against the state here. Tiger Paw says, become a minister of your own church. I yep. like that. But I like better the idea that we create this food church concept yep. a little bit higher. And instead of doing it the way Neethi's doing it, it's like a place that you would get meat and all. It's more of, so when my animal gets processed, I need um, a, a, a sanctified St. Josh. Right. become properly halal or whatever my animal, right? right? So when the inspector comes in, this is a religious ceremony, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And right. they like, I'm telling you, man, the state runs away from stuff. They like don't that. want that lawsuit. Right. They don't want to go there. That's, that's right. a couple steps under like messing with an Indian. Like you don't go messing around on an Indian reservation. I mean, I, I'm not that level, but it's, there's a certain, like, yeah, the, and we have our, uh, are, are you properly, uh, pronounced before you come into? Oh, right, right. And, uh, can I no, identify as a, as a state licensed processor? You think that would work? Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I mean, but according to the, the Church of the Great Internet, I am an ordained minister. So okay. there is that. Everybody but, should well, be. I like this idea of, of the, the, the Church of, of home processing or something goofy yeah. like that. And, you know, I'm sure there are, there's all kinds of different status jujitsu out there and there's ways around it, but they don't make it simple. It's, it's silly red tape and it shouldn't ever have to be, but that's the world we live in. And you know what though, the way things are going, we may reach a time in the near future where nobody's really going to give a crap because that's how you feed your family. So there is a point where people have more important things to do, like worry about the hordes at their own gates yeah. than come around and mess with exactly. you. But and I, yeah, everybody, everybody right here. Yeah. See, you just fill out this little form right yeah. here. There it is. And then next Universal thing you know, Church, Church of Universal Ministry, too. I think I got ordained by both of them. Yeah. <laughs> like you should get all of them. Like get them all like and become yeah. a minister. And, and there, there's right. a lot. We're not going to do a why you should be a minister show today, but there's more than there's one reason. There's a there's lot of things, a lot of benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Why should you know. somebody have a privilege that you don't? Instead of check your privilege, stack your privilege. Um, I never used it, but while I was working on medical equipment for a while after I got my electronics degree, um, I kept it around. I had a I had a, a plaque that said clergy and allowed me to actually park in clergy parking at hospitals if I really needed it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm saying, like, <laughs> um, yeah, there's little extra packages because that's how they make their money. But you can get a right. press pass. You yeah. can get a press pass from ULC because they have yeah. their own publication. And I'm just, I mean, just you, know, you, can make, you can make you know, 50 bucks on the weekend if you, you know, officiate a marriage in a freaking city park. It's happened before. So I officiated my son's marriage. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. tell people to mess with them. Like I married my son. One of my best like, friends <laughs> uh, years ago when I lived up north, I, they wanted uh, their marriage officiated. They they wanted to go out in the state park. We hiked five miles back on the state park over a cliff, you know. Nobody else was going to do that. But I went through the process, got it all set up, took care of it, signed the paperwork. There they go. And to them, that was more personal and special than, you know, going to a judge somewhere and just getting the paperwork done. So, but, yeah, I mean, we could go on about that forever. But, anyway, that's not the point of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but there's a lot of ways around stuff. There's a lot of ways to work outside of that system. And uh, we were just having this. Okay, so I've got a, a Telegram group. 
uh, it's a Liberty Meet uh, chat on Telegram. That's been really cool. There's about 50 people in there, bunch of people from the TSP audience. And uh, we, we've been talking about this kind of thing. Uh, I was just talking with uh, Aaron and Nate from the Two Chicks Homestead the other day about that. They want to put on a processing class. And we were going back and forth about uh, some of the things, the considerations you have to take, because you wouldn't think there'd be any problem with doing a class on chicken processing. But depending mm-hmm. on your state, some states don't even allow you to process meat for other people or other people who aren't consuming that meat to process it. And it's a silly. It depends on the state. So yeah. I was like, you know what? Do what you're going to do. I would tell everybody do what you're going to do. Unless somebody shows up and complains, you're probably going to get away with it. But be very cautious about what you either advertise, especially if it's for money, or what you put on social media. Because all it takes is one crazy blue-haired Karen, one vegan that's mad at you, to report to the state. Do not underestimate the power of the Karen. And it is the Karen that will cause the problem. It is the vegan Karen. Because they will, they will be in the state's inbox every day until something happens, and someone will be tired enough about hearing it to show up and cause a problem. And say, hey, we, we responded to your complaint, Karen. Please go bother somebody else. Because there are people there, especially in the vegan community, there are people, their entire mission in life is to shut down meat processing wherever and anywhere that they can. And they, they literally think they're on. saving the lives of orphans or something right. with what they're doing. And uh, so that is that is definitely a concern. And I would say, like, the things like the chicken processing workshops and all, like, follow the old drug dealer creed, man. Sell to who you know. You don't exactly. need to be out. Like, there's this level, like, if you want to get to a certain level of revenue, you have to mass market. But there's oh, yeah. this place that's underneath that. Like, I did one of my workshops. We had, I think, 50 birds that needed to be processed, and I didn't need 50 freaking birds. These were big birds, too. They were uh, right. Freedom Rangers, right? Like, so they're chickens, but they're big chickens. They're so big old meat chickens, yeah. I got this idea. You know, I was doing a workshop anyway, and I, I sold the workshop first. And then I only marketed to the people that were coming to the workshop anyway and said, hey, right. we have 25 or 20 spots, whatever it was, um, for an extra day. You show up a day early, and we process chickens. Right? So that's not going out to Karen Town, right? That's no. only going to my existing customer base. Exactly. And I think I charged an extra 100 bucks for that. And we said, you process two birds. You take one home and we keep one. And then like half the people didn't even eat their, didn't take their bird. They're like, I flew in, man. I, I, I don't want to take a chicken on an right, airplane. Right. So then we took all that chicken and we fed it as the first night's meals back exactly. to all the students and everybody was happy and everybody was good and it went really great and everybody yep. learned how to process a chicken. And like what I did with that is like, so everybody's like, well, where's the plucker? I'm like, your hand is a walker. Like, where's yep. the kill comes? Like, five gallon bucket and, and, uh, TA50 cord, right? And they're like, yep. but, but I'm like, okay, who here owns kill cones? Cause they're all here to learn the process of chicken. So I know the answer is nobody. Right. So no hands go up. Like, who here has a five gallon bucket? Every hand goes up. I'm like, exactly. who here has a sharp knife? Every hand goes up. Like, one's kind of like, like, well, you sharpen your knife. Otherwise you're good. Who here has hands, right? Who has a pot and a way to heat water? We're fixing the shit that you have. And then everybody actually, I think, really dug it. Like, it wasn't like watching a chicken bounce around in a a, a refurbed washing machine or something like right. that. They felt like, I can go home now, and I can have the confidence when I do this. And I would say, like, you're right, even with smaller animals, it is the slaughter where things go wrong. Because yep. we had a few people hitting trachea instead of a blood vessel, and that's... 
And Juan was a person that was a little iffy on doing it in the first place and a little tentative. And, and that's usually when you mess up because you're scared of screwing it up. Yeah. So you're shaky. We had, and, to, yeah. we had to work through that. I've got my new tool for, for chickens. Ooh. Nice. This will be the item of the day tomorrow because I didn't have uh-huh. time to get <laughs> I like you. I like you. But I worked at a, I worked at a conventional, uh, a commercial facility for turkeys and it was basically a giant version of this. Right. That was used for, uh, deheading and, uh, this nice. works really good. Uh, so guys keep an eye on it on the site tomorrow. It It'll be yeah. out on T-Spaz's item of the day. Right. But, uh, let's, let's move from there. You, you've joined the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood of Podcasters, man. What's up with that? <laughs> well, I mean, I I thought about doing a little bit. You know, it was like a year ago, roughly. I'm sitting there processing deer, doing my thing, and I'm hearing you and Nicole going on about, you know, how people really should get into podcasting if you got a skill set, you know, try to teach people. I was like, yeah, I should do that. So I was doing the Patch to Play processing, and uh, then I started doing uh, – Home processing with passion to play processing or whatever. I started up like a little podcast, did like six episodes and then all the stuff with the state happened. And I was like, what the heck? So I had my hands full trying to juggle this and, you know, switch gears with my business, figure all this stuff out. And it just kind of fell behind. And on top of that, I was like, last thing I need to do while I'm trying to navigate this bullshit is, uh, be out there talking about on a podcast doing stuff they don't want me doing. So I kind of took some time to reevaluate everything like that. And, and then I got really wrapped into going to float fest and vending and dealing with all that and hanging out with Brian Norton out there, got a chance to hang out with you and fed a bunch of people and everything like that. And uh, kind of got the kick in the ass, especially from, from Brian. Like, you know, you need to start up with the podcasting. I'm like, I know I do, but let me get my stuff together. One hang up for me has been my internet at the house is terrible. So I've had to find ways to adapt and deal with that. But I, I've been trying to get out there, get that content going. I haven't really forged a schedule yet, a consistent time. Sometimes it's just me on the road. Sometimes it's me just popping in and updating. But we've been getting people involved. We've had a real good following. And people have showed up, especially in the Telegram groups, talked about it. And then I've, what's really helped is I've gotten some awesome interviews. I had Brian from Lots Project on. Uh, I had a guy that I ran across on TikTok of all places the other day and I messaged him. I'm like, Hey, dude, you want to be on my podcast? And he was all about it. Uh, but he's raising kind of like what you're talking about, like breeding large breed chickens. He's actually got Cornish cross that he is crossing with some other large breed birds and raising his own sustainable meat birds in his backyard. Super passionate guy, way on board with all this. Got him on an interview. And uh, that was that was awesome. He never even heard of any of these podcasts or anything like that. He'd never been on YouTube before. You know, he, he didn't even know we were going to go live on video. Popped in there. Great podcast. So it's been a, a wild ride. But, I mean, you know, it's just something you got to jump in and do, I guess. And I, I kind of had to screw it up one time and jump in there and find my find my groove. And I think it's something that's going to stick. I want to make it integrate with all my other business angles. Yeah. Kind of mesh. Not just be its own separate clunky thing. No, I think that's a good plan. And I think it's something that like not every podcaster is going to crank out 300 episodes a year and be a full time podcaster and their podcast is their business. But most of the good podcasters I know, they're running a business that is funneled into by their podcast. If you look at like Nicole uh, with Living Free in Tennessee, 
I don't think she makes a ton of money directly from the podcast, but she sure sells a lot of freaking coffee. Good, uh, good know. advertisement. But then she's also doing something good. She's yes. educating people. She's spreading that. And, you know, I think anybody who's kind of in this space, we're not here just because we're, we don't hate money, but we're no, not trying no. to just, we're not just here to make money. I know what you aren't doing the survival podcast because this is your get rich quick thing. This isn't, this no. isn't you trying to get wealthy. You did enough stuff for years in the business space that if you wanted to make a ton of money, you don't need the survival podcast to do that. No. You're here no. because if I don't really care about my, my spiritual well-being, I can yeah. go consult. I don't know if I can now after 15 years of walking away, but at the time I could have just been cons- doing what I was doing, consulting for Fortune 500 brands. Right. Right. right? Exactly. And I could write myself, exactly. you know, six-figure quarterly paychecks right. doing that. Um, I don't make that kind of money doing this, but I get to do what I love for sure. And I get to pay the bills at the same exactly. time. And I think well, when I started doing more the, the, the teaching and consulting type thing, I kind of got some grief from people. I know they're like, why are you going to go teach them how to do your skill set? Aren't you kind of shooting yourself in the foot? I was like, well, for, first of all, they have no idea how much is involved. I'll be back yeah. for another. Yeah. There's more than enough need out there for this. More people need to learn how to do this. I lucked into learning this stuff and developing this skill set kind of by accident, but most people don't know, you know. So to me, I'd like to be able to go out there and spread this knowledge and let more people learn how to do it. And the whole podcasting side of it, the consulting side of it is a way for me to spread that beyond just what I can do in my little corner of Texas. Yeah, Yeah, and I'll tell you one thing about the people that say, like, you're shooting yourself in the foot, like, training your customers or whatever. You know what they all are? They're people that have jobs, not businesses. They've never – it's never the person that actually built a successful business that gives you that advice because that's a scarcity mentality. You can't be an entrepreneur. You can't be a successful entrepreneur long term, I should say, with a scarcity mindset. You have to realize the abundance that there is. There's, what, 29 million people in the state of Texas. You could train – a hundred of your customers a year who actually learn yep. and never, ever, ever ask you to come do it for them again. And all you're going to get is more than a hundred referrals out of them for the next person. That's all exactly. you're going to get. And you'll die before you wear out that market. Yep. You, you'll physically die before you wear out that market. And you know what? If, if, the day that I die, I've ran myself out of business because there are a bunch of people out there in the state of Texas now who know how to process their own meat and have spread that knowledge to everybody else. I'll feel fulfilled in my life, you know? It's like that would be the best outcome ever if, if more people learned how to do this. Put it this way. If in five years I put myself out of business because I trained people how to do it, I'll go on and do something else. That's great. People need to learn how to do this kind of thing, you know? I'll be yeah. the reason a bunch of people didn't starve to death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'll tell you, like, just for me, the podcast, I do so much on entrepreneurship. What happens is somebody has a job where they have mindless time during the day. They listen to podcasts. They're right. driving around. They're driving job or something, you know. Then they start a business and they stop listening, right? So it's like yep. if you talk less about entrepreneurship, less of that would happen. But I get less emails like, hey, jackass, I started a business because <laughs> of you and I have freedom, right? Yep. That's the real payday in there. Podcasting, I think, is – Real podcasting, what we do, hmm. is the future of media. Now, podcasting has become something that every person that has a talking head show on a major network also has a podcast. Those are not podcasts. No. They are commercially produced programming distributed with RSS. That's what right, they are. They're right. not podcasters. If you can't confidently say, I'm not saying you have to, 
right? Because if you don't want to, you don't have to. But if you can't confidently say fuck on your podcast, you do not have a podcast. I no, mean, again, no. I'm not saying you, like, I'm, people hate when I, there's some people out there like, I always hear when you use that word. Whatever. I'm not saying you personally right. have to. I'm saying you have to have that level of freedom. Exactly. If you wanted to, or whatever it is for you that if you were on CNN or Fox News, there'd be some producer going, um, please, we cannot be doing that, or the FCC, or like, if you don't have that freedom, you're not a podcaster. If you can't no. be like, you know what, I was going to talk about this thing today, but I met this cool dude, Josh, down at Float, and he was awesome, and we're going to talk about killing freaking animals today. If you don't have that freedom, right, you're not a podcaster. Exactly, exactly. If somebody can censor you or tell you we can't talk about that today, yeah, no, what you're, you're doing isn't really podcasting. You're just part of the, the mainstream media. I would, I would put it this way. If a company pays you for what you do yep. rather than your audience, yep. we're like making a, 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 might be a redneck joke, right? Like, you know, reverse engineer thing here. But if somebody, if, if you're paid by a corporation, you might not be a podcaster. You do, you're not a podcaster. Like, right. I don't know how that affects Joe Rogan. I think Joe Rogan is the exception because he was such a good podcaster. I, yeah. He want rice to the show. And he still does whatever. He wants, right? I think like, Joe Rogan was a good enough podcaster. He was able to commercialize it to now he's got a company that will pay him to do it. The other way, the right? Yeah. That. But they also, they don't see the value in necessarily Joe Rogan is our talking head and says what he, what he wants or what yeah. we want. Yeah. Joe Rogan himself, the personality, the podcaster, they, they bought into that brand. Not, yeah. 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 And I know people, like some people thought he sold out and all, but when, when I, I had people come to me with like, I'm like, let me tell you something. I'm pretty big on doing what I want, but as long as I can keep saying what I want, if right. Spotify came up to me and like, Jack, we will give you $50 million for a 10 year contract to exclusively distribute your podcast on Spotify. Next day, I'd be like, welcome to the survival podcast available exclusively on Spotify. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, like, yeah, I mean, until they turned around and said, Jack, you can't say certain things. He'd be like, yeah, oh, we, we got a different problem, right? But like, right, it's, just, right. it's just, if it's just distribution, and I know I've got some haters out there going, you suck, whatever, dude. When somebody sell else, out. Okay, I'm going to sell out with 50 grand a year. Because I'll, I'll start the other podcast, the aftermarket podcast or whatever, right? You know? Right. Anyway, um, Let's go back to the main topic for a bit. What, what do you think the easiest animals are to process for new people? Like they've not really done things before. I, shoot. I'd have to say, uh, probably rabbits and quail. Yeah. Uh, either of those there. I know, you know, on the quail side, rabbits, stupidly easy. You can almost do it without a knife. Um, chickens, most poultry is not hard, but you do have the plucking angle. I don't know about you. I don't pluck quail. I don't, I don't, I don't pluck chickens. I don't even pluck my own chickens because I don't bother raising meat chickens. Yeah. I only just do a few coals for my layers every year. So I usually yeah. just pin them too. Cause by the time I get done with five roosters, I'm frustrated going, I could have hung a whole beef in the cooler by now. I'm covered in blood and feathers. That's why I don't yeah. usually bother messing with it. It's not my wheelhouse, but, uh, well, I've got, yeah, a, I've got a processing facility that I can take my own birds to, uh, you know, state inspected one. They yep. do chickens for four bucks. Yeah, exactly. All right. So oh. if I'm calling, I do it myself. If I decide like I want to do a 25 bird meat run, that's a hundred bucks. To drive. Yeah. That's a hundred bucks and I drop it off and I pick up a couple slabs, full slabs of bait, uh, you know, not cured yet, but basically future bacon while I'm there. Yeah. And so it, like yeah. it's worth going and then you get some of their meat sticks and shit. Oh, like, yeah. so like, right. no, I'm not, I'm not, not a, a chicken for $4. I'm not doing it. 
I've had some of you folks ask me, can you, can you do mobile processing for poultry or whatnot? I say, so first of all, not only do I want to set up everything for that and bring all the plucking crap and yeah. deal with all that crap. I was like, honestly, for me to show up to value my time at all, not only, not even considering travel costs, I would have to charge you so much for bird per bird to do that, to make it worth my time. So you don't you want can't to afford me and I can't afford to do it. And I'm being miserable the whole time. If yeah. you had a hundred birds for me to do, and I show up and I charge you three bucks a bird. I showed up, I sweat, busted my ass, hauled my stuff out there, set everything up, ran a plucker, and have to clean all of it up. And I made 300 bucks for that day. That's not worth it to me. I could do other things and make that $300 and way less time if I really wanted to do that, you know. So I would rather teach people or have people I know who are good at that, educate folks on how to do those yourself on site or ask around. If you got somebody who does a bunch of pasture poultry in your area and sells it, they probably got a plucker. Make friends, borrow it, have them teach yeah. you how to do it. There's a lot of people in that space. Uh, and if you've got a lot, there's not too many good poultry processors out there, but if you've got one within a close drive and they do it for a reasonable price, take advantage of that because if you're raising meat birds, yeah, yeah, it's, it's worth the cost. If you can get them done three, four bucks a head, there is no reason that I want to sit outside and do it myself. But quail, different story. Quail or easy. Uh, rabbits, super quick, super easy. And I'd say on top of that, as far as easier animals, if you, uh, if you've ever hunted or processed deer or been in that world, you know, something a little bit larger, there is no reason you can't do a goat or a sheep. No yeah. reason at all. No, 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 I would agree. You know, it's more time, involved than a quail or a rabbit, but it's, right. but it's no different than a deer. But way, I used to raise Asian heritage hog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you know, for one or two people, that's plenty of meat to put in the freezer. You're not going to get big chops out of them or whatnot, but you can get you don't some need good it. roast and cut some good sausage or whatnot. I have and great lard in my backyard. Great lard. I processed those in my back, processed those in my backyard before with nothing but a rope, uh, a step ladder to hang it from, okay. like a deer gamble and an ice chest. Okay. You know, a fold out table. You can get through that. It's a little bit more work to do a pig. You're not going to be able to peel half the hide. You're going to have to knife it off. But it's totally achievable at home. In fact, any of these animals with the right considerations are achievable at home. But I would say other than large hogs and things that are like cattle sized and up, you probably can manage to do it with the equipment you've got on hand if you're creative. So on the poultry, I would say when I when I do a chicken and I, I'm going to mm-hmm. give a duck thing that I do because duck skin so delicious here in a second. I haven't oh, tried I it with ducks. chickens yet, but I, I probably should do the same thing with a chicken when I get to the duck. But with a chicken, all I do is take a knife. This is after the bird's dead, obviously. Right. And, and go right down the breastbone because then you're not going to cut into your meat and just mm-hmm. pull the skin out of the way and then yep. just cut the, the breast cutlets off the same way you would if you bought a bone-in chicken at the store yep. and you just pull them out and then you pull the skin around the legs and you pop yep. the the, the thighs and you cut through the thigh where the joint right. is and then you skin the leg down. And I, now I just take my little choppers that I showed there. Uh-huh. Cause the people on the audio are still, what the hell did he have? What it's an electric fruiter. Um, yep. And they, they cut that like butter. And then you've got two leg quarters and you've got two breast cutlets. And then mm-hmm. whatever's there that the dog wants, the dog gets and the rest goes right. in the compost. And if right. you absolutely have to have the skin on those breasts or whatnot, guess what? You can go and just hand pluck those breasts. That's, that's what, what I was going to say, right? Yeah. So this is what I do with ducks. I do not scald. Because uh-huh. if you've ever plucked a bird by hand, the pain in the ass is all the part that you really don't need to pluck. It's the leg. It's the the back, the neck, yep. right? So all I do is while the bird's still warm, I just yank all the feathers out of the breast. 
Mm-hmm. I take a little butane torch and I burn off the pin feathers. Do this before you take the cutlet off, because if you take the cutlet off, the skin, when you heat it, hit it with that heat, it wants It'll to shrink, shrink up on you, right? So you burn off your little fly feathers, then yep. you de-breast with the skin on. And so that's how I do a cold duck now. I leave the skin on the breast, and I do the the, the leg quarters skinless. Yep. And it doesn't take two minutes longer a bird to do. No. And then... I'm a fiend for hearts, and I save my hearts up. So I then I go oh, inside, heart. and I pull my heart and my liver, and I save yep. them separately till I have enough of them to matter. And yep. uh, the like I said, the rest goes to the dogs. And when the dogs are done spitting feathers, then mm-hmm. it goes in the compost and gets buried, right? Yep. Yep. And I haven't done that with a chicken yet, but I've done it with geese, and I've done it with ducks. I've done it with wild ducks and wild geese, which mm-hmm. is where I got the idea in the first place. Right. And it's right. basically you forget shit. Like one day I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> you remember when you used to stand in the water and it was all cold and you used to shoot ducks and you did this when you were a kid? Do it again and it, it works, right? So I haven't done it with a chicken yet, but right. Well, I think that's that part of that. We get that tunnel vision mentality, and this is something I struggle with too because I most of my, especially large livestock processing, I learned working at a processor. So you get this mentality of this is how it has to be done. It's got to go on a hook. It's got to go on a rail, on a trolley. It goes in the walking cooler and it does exist. You break it here. You do it exactly like this. And that's great if you want those exact retail cuts and everything. Yeah. Sure. Fine. But there's also, if you're happy with the results and it's what you want to eat, do it the way that gets the result you want. You're not selling the stuff. You're not putting it on a retail shelf, you know. And so I've got some friends, like I said, that do the mobile processing and to do that hot cut side. They come from the background of, like, she just skinned at a game ranch, skinned wild animals her whole time. Grew up doing this. They do a cow a whole different way than I do. They had me come help them out, learn some more from them, get stuff for their customers, you know, kind of learn how some of these steak cuts go. But they still do things their own way, and it works. And as long as the customer is happy with that result, that's great. It's awesome. It works out. Everybody's happy. It doesn't have to be this rigid in-the-box perspective yeah. of this is the only way to do it. Just well, make you sure know, that like, the way you do it is a safe way to do it. So, As you know, obviously, when you do things by the book with that front quarter, there's a way you cut and keep that front leg and all whole. Right. And what I do when I'm processing a deer or a sheep mm-hmm. or something like that, I just take the knife and take the whole front leg off. Right, right. right. Now, now, if, you you want, to make if, you fancy, bun, if you go to the grocery store and you buy a chuck roast and it's got yeah. that, Exact setup with the right bone and you, all those yeah. muscle groups. You're never going to get that if you take that shoulder off that way. It's but because it's it was growing from a hanging beef. But right. does it matter in the crock yeah. pot? Because trust know. me, when I say I can take a deer apart in 15 minutes, that's what I need. Mean. 100%. Like you pull that arm out. There's no bones in there. You just take yeah. that whole front leg off and you hang that. It's not really right. a quarter, but that's what you end up calling it, right? You hang right. that quarter by itself and you end up with the rib cage and what would be the chuck and the, the, right. the, 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 what would be the ribeye on a cow, yep. but you've pro- I always bone that out. So the that's going out, right. Anyway. And then you got exactly. your neck and that goes to the grinder. I think one thing I bet you would agree with, if you're going to get into processing things above birds mm-hmm. where you're going to grind meat, do not be a cheap fuck when it comes to buying a grinder. Buy a good grinder. Good I grinder and freaking partially freeze your meat before you grind it or you hate yourself. Get it. Like nice instead of hating money, you just hate yourself. You want to make slime. You cannot buy too big of a grinder. Yeah, um, I agree. If you buy a small grinder, you are going to hate life. Um, yeah. yeah it, it sucks because they're not cheap. But at the same no. time, if you can sit, if you think you're going to use it maybe more than like once a year, 
buy a good grinder. And it will last you the rest of your lifetime if you learn how to maintain it and take care of it. Uh, <laughs> also, another thing, if you are doing cattle or, or you do a lot of sausage, you're going to raise a few hogs, you do a lot of deer, it doesn't have to be huge, but buy yourself a sausage stuffer, like a hand crank sausage stuffer. It is night and day. When I first started this, I'm like, I'm going to buy a little grinder. I'm going to go and I'm going to process all this stuff for people. I'm going to throw it in the back of the car and get it done. Great. Yeah. One time stuffing it out of the back of a stuffer or out of the grinder. One time. Same. Once. Never again. Never again. A one day job turned into a three day job. Me trying yeah. to finish it up. It was ridiculous. I was like, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. It was crazy. I turned around about the largest hand crank stuffer that I could. It'll hold 30 pounds at a time. Now, if I do a full-size cow, I might have 100, 150 pounds of ground beef. Yeah. Try doing that out of a five-pound stuffer you bought at freaking Cabela's. Don't do it. Don't no. do it. My at least a 10 or 15 pounds, uh, but that will make bagging that meat so much faster. That 30-pound tank, it's hand-cranked, but it's not hard to do. I fill that yeah. thing up. I will have that emptied and in the bags in five minutes. And then you've got the yeah. ability to do smoked sausage and things like that, too. The big one that I get is like $400 roughly right now, but I'm doing it on a professional scale. And if I've got to fill that thing up five times, I'll, I don't want to have to fill it up more than five times. See, and I would say yeah. for people more like me, so I'll grind meat three, like, okay, right. a significant amount of meat three times a year, right? Right. Um, I might grind a couple pounds because I want to do a custom sausage or something. Right, right. A couple That's times a month. I have a Turbo Force grinder. They're about $200. It's mm. damn good. I stuffed sausage with it one time. It was another roadkill deer. And right. we did like 14 pounds of sausage, including the pork we mixed in. And it was like never again. Um, oh. I will say one of the best things you can do for yourself with a, with a smaller electric grinder is get a foot pressure switch. Yeah. So you just leave it on, and then you, you can start and stop with your feet when your hands are yeah. all covered in meat goo. Uh I would say for people that are not where you are, but more need more than I do, I've mm -hmm. used the Cabela's Carnivore Grinders. Cabela's Those Carnivore's are freaking good. beasts for the money. Uh, my buddy Kevin has a one-horsepower one. I put 60 pounds of pork through that thing in about 10 minutes. Yep. yep. And it's just like it was – the limit was my desire to feed the grinder more than the speed the grinder worked at. Exactly. And, Those are know, good. Um, my little one, I can grind – Probably ten pounds, about a pound a minute. Yeah, with no effort. Um, Lem is pretty good too. Um, and then uh, Weston, Weston are really good. The one thing I like about the Cabela's usually over a certain size and the Weston is most of them have a function on the motor where you can put it in reverse. Yes. Which if you have ever put something in there that is a little over something gets bound up. Instead of taking it all apart, pulling all yeah. the meat out by hand and starting over, you might be able to get yourself out of that bind reversing it. That is really handy. But, yeah, do a little shopping around, read some reviews and stuff. Cabela's did change up manufacturers a couple of years ago. Okay, so, so I don't know. Who that. I haven't seen one since. They're a little more sketchy, but uh, get over, if you can, because they come by head size, get at least yeah. a size 12 head. Uh, 22 is better. Now, it you don't need to have a big, like, you know, 45 size head or whatnot, massive freaking monster yeah. or whatnot. But you also, at the same time, if you do have that big thing, yeah. but the other thing is if you and your neighbors, your friends, your family, your homesteading community, whatever, if you all are involved in this, there's no reason y'all can't go in on one or one guy can't buy it and then rent it out to all of his friends. Hey, you need a grinder for a weekend? I'll rent that grinder for 20 bucks. You know, yeah. you could probably, if you know enough people who want to process stuff at home, 
you could probably buy a grinder and in a year or two pay for it. I, I agree. I yeah, agree. Definitely worth it. So then yeah, I don't really know about the Cabela's. <laughs> I don't know about the Cabela's anymore than if they changed, but the, the old three quarter horsepower mm-hmm. and up carnivores, if you like, if you find one used, unless right. somebody threw it down the stairs or something, right. and then maybe it would still be good. What are your thoughts on like for, um, for vacuum sealing? Like I have used an old commercial Cabela's vacuum sealer forever and mm-hmm. I'm ready to like, See what 3006s do to it at this point because I have so many failures with it. And I'm going to step up to a chamber vac, and I kind of think that if you're starting out from the beginning, that's where you should start at. If you can, if you can get the chamber vac, go with the chamber vac. I don't personally have or use a chamber vac right now because most of the time if I do stuff, I'm throwing everything in the car and taking it with my customer to the customer. Chamber vacs are usually big and bulky. Yeah. Um, If you do go with the chamber vac, they have some smaller ones. I know Cabela's does some. Wesson does some. But most of the time, they're kind of small. Like, you're not going to be able to get big cuts inside the chamber. And if they can't fit in the chamber, you can't vacuum seal it. Uh, but chamber vacs do give you the advantage of using cheaper bags that do the same job. And everything inside that chamber goes to the same pressure. You don't have the problems that you do with the tabletop. Because, you know, like the food savers type, you've got the texture on the back. You can get bags for about a third of the price. But they're, uh, your vacuum, vac master, I think is probably your best brand for your chamber vacs, uh, especially on the entry level for like a tabletop model. And you're looking at something that's probably about 150, 200 pound unit. It takes up the size of like a, a big, like a tabletop coffee machine. Um, so I'm going I'm to bring it up right now. That's actually the one that I'm probably going to buy. I'm bringing it up on Amazon because it was easy to find. or something I want to say. In the neighborhood. They're like yeah. 80 pounds. Um, I would tell you, I'm showing you this on Amazon. Don't yeah, try to help me out by buying it on T-Spaz, yeah. guys. Yep. A restaurant sells this machine Excellent. for like $100 less. Nice. Right? So, And I think they both have free shipping. So. Right. Uh, that's probably, that's probably the one that I'm going to go with there. And it's a fairly large. And it's, it's, you can do. it's not get parts for it. A lot of commercial places use those. Yeah. Um, some folks, the, the one processor I worked at up until they really kind of graduated and got busy enough and got one of the big double table, double chamber vacuum sealers, we used these and these were still backups. So they're a great unit. Uh, and they will do pretty much most things. You might have a hard time getting a large brisket in there. You may have to cut it down. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, that's, what I say. that's where you're you know. going to get into your limits on it. Cause I've been, right. I've been shopping this for a while. I'm pretty stringent yeah. on making my selections on once mm-hmm. it's more than a couple hundred bucks. I really think about it before I buy it. Um, sure. but one of the things I'll tell people, cause I'm big on, I don't like unitaskers. So mm-hmm. we, we happen to have a place this thing can live and never get put away, which makes having yep. a big machine a little easier. Well, I also do a lot of dry canning and like yeah. we'll dry can like our salad greens for the week because then they stay fresh. Well, yes. you can throw a jar in there and that one's big enough. You can throw a half gallon jar. There inside. are so many things you can do with a vacuum sealer other than just meat too. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And if you dehydrate, if you dehydrate vegetables or whatnot or freeze dryer or whatnot, vacuum sealing them. Perfect way to keep them dry forever. If you want to vacuum seal ammo and put it away and make sure it's never going to get, you know, messed up. There's, there are so many uses. So float fest, when I was doing barbecue, I pre-cooked a ton of stuff that I could just warm up and vacuum sealed them, freeze them, and then basically sous vide them in a boiling pot without power there to warm them back up in the bag because the bags are designed for it. 
Yeah. Or uh, open it up, slice it, make sandwiches, and do what I'm doing. There's a million things you can use. They're, honestly, I don't know how I'd live without a vacuum sealer. Most of the stuff I do is with tabletop units. I go through a couple a year. I buy the cheap ones. Okay. Uh, the ones that I usually buy, I don't think they're making anymore. I need to, like, find and shift gears and find another one. But I probably, if I get the truck going, because I'm not hauling that stuff around and moving it, I'm going to have a chamber vacuum set up. But I probably will still have a small tabletop unit and, like, some rolls of backup stashed away because it's a good backup for me. And one nice thing, one really nice thing about those is you can get the rolls of the gusseted bags. The gusseted bags, basically, it's like a pleat, but you can fold it up and open it up to like a big wide. Oh, okay. So, and the only time I like the rolls, I like to get the pre-cut bags because I'm I'm running and gunning. And if I have to seal two sides of a bag when I'm doing a whole cow, it's going to work. But when I have briskets or a big cut, or I've even rolled out like three, four foot lengths and vacuum sealed split wild hogs in these things. But it's a standard like 11 inch wide vacuum seal bags, but they'll expand to like four or five inches tall. I like uh, that. You can make your own bags with those and vacuum seal large cuts, but you're yeah. only going to be able to do that with that tabletop vacuum sealer. But yeah, that's true. One of those for, I mean, you can buy a food saver off the shelf or whatnot, but the ones I was using, I'll have to see if I can find the link for them. Last I checked to go buy a new one, they, they didn't have any in stock, but they, uh, you could probably get one for 75, 100 bucks and it'll do everything the vac- chamber vacuum will do. It just do, it does it slower and you need special bags to do it. And I, I just don't think they're as reliable, especially no, long term. I will say, you've got to babysit it more. Make sure, make sure. I know you've mentioned this before. Make sure that seal is not only straight and flat on that ceiling bar when you do that. Make sure you don't have grease and stuff in there. Moisture. Learn to cuff those bags a couple of times. Get your hands clean. Clean everything up. It'll save yeah. you so much headache. Because if there's grease or moisture inside that seal, it's going to fail. Wonder why do my bags leak? Yeah. And well, that's, one other that's thing while I'm thinking reason. about this, this is a big tip for folks too. Um, and, and this came from the processing, like on a professional side, because we do whole animals or whatnot. But when you vacuum seal all those cuts and you're about to put them in your freezer, put them in like a crate or something you can access before you finally put them in your real box or organize them or whatever. Put them in your freezer overnight, pull it out the next day and look. If any of those bags were going to leak, they'll probably do it in that first 24 hours in that freezer. And it's not too late to save it from the frostbite then from getting freezer burned. So then you'll see, oh, look, this bag's loose. I can see the frost building up inside. Take that. You can just razor it open, put it in a new bag, whatever you need to do, re-vacuum seal it. But you'll save yourself a whole lot of headache if you do that than if you just pile it in the freezer, forget about it, and a year later you realize this, this bag failed. Yeah, I'll add that the, the, the concept of the freezer inventory. We do that a couple times a year. We literally take everything out, restack everything. Oh, yeah, that's in there. We need to eat that. My wife writes them all yeah. down in uh, like little notebooks. So we'll like, when we're planning our meals for the week, we'll open the notebook and we try to keep up with crossing shit off. Um, That's helped a lot because that way you don't have that rack of lamb that's so delicious, but you forgot about it. And it's the bottom of the chest freezer. And one of the things Uh we did is it's kind of, kind of weird, but I got it from my networking days where we would name servers. Like we used to name the servers after like, like the Cardassian server and the Romulan server and shit like that. Just so when you said it, everybody knew what you were talking about. Right. Uh, so we named our freezers after like past animals, like Lakota and Blackie and, and Ralph the cat. And like, so we'll, we'll go get the, the, this out. And if I don't know where it is, I'm like, where is it? She's like, it's in Ralph. Right. <laughs> that's our, that's our low. I like that. Cause we have more, you know, quite a few freezers actually. Um, right. On that, I'll just real quick say, make sure you have backup power for your freezers. Yes, yes, please. 
What are your thoughts, dude? Are you ever going to like run a workshop or something like that? You know, we've really been thinking about it. I'm looking at the logistics of it and everything. Um, there might actually happen if, if all the stars align and everything falls into place, we very well might be doing something like that for next float fest. If people want to show up, um, we'll announce it all and everything. They'll probably be limited on the slaughter side or whatnot. But I know last year we did a big cookout type thing. Uh, this year, so one of the guys that lives really close there hangs out with us. He's cool as hell and he raises like meat sheep and poultry. And I've been talking with him. We're thinking about maybe raising a few up for that, getting some folks to kind of come in maybe like a day or two before the event, be a part of the slaughter side of it, you know, get hands on, learn about it, and then jump in there and help sort of serve and talk about their experience when we're barbecuing and, and doing this all for, for float fest, maybe do the same thing with the poultry. Like, you know, you show up, you're going to get two birds to do, you get to take one yeah. home type deal. Yeah. That might be a thing. We're working out all the ins and outs of that. And I might do some more later. Once I kind of get the whole state licensed truck type thing, the world is my oyster. I could yeah. buy a cow or get one from a customer or whatever. I can do cow shares as long as everybody buys in while the animal's still alive. Yeah. 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 A hard owner. And I can do, a full yeah. workshop, get them involved in that, and then the state can't say anything about it because I'm yeah. licensed and it's, it's all good that. to go. So, yeah, and I'm planning on bringing out with cameras too, so I can actually have like live feeds and different yeah. stuff, do educational videos on the breakdown through the course of my normal day to day type stuff. So, hopefully, we'll be able to have some of that stuff coming down the pipe. Yeah, because you have four people split a quarter beef each. A lot of people, that's yeah. about all they can handle. I mean, I well, remember the quarter beef fill up some space. The first time I did a half beef here, I was fortunate that I had just cleaned out a ton of from hunting season because it yep. barely fit. Like I went to pick it up and I'm like, I'm carrying these heavy ass boxes of frozen meat into my yep. truck. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, no, I got two more boxes. And I'm, I'm driving yep. home going, you need, I'm on the phone with my wife, but you need to start moving some shit around and like <laughs> make it up with like, 50 something pounds of just ground. Yep. Just the ground. And then we had like another 10 pounds that was like chili ground into the coarser ground and what have you. Uh -huh. Anyway, man, this has been great. You want to tell people how they can learn more about what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can go to libertymeat.solutions. Uh, actually, that's kind of still not totally set up. I've got a million things going on with the web work, but if you go to live.libertymeat.solutions, that's usually where I have all the updates on the podcast type stuff any of the new live streams that come up, all the different ways to find me on social media are up there. And then we're also doing, uh, I'm doing a seasoning project where I'm trying to launch it all with just cryptocurrency. I mean, I'll take regular money, but we're trying to do it with all cryptocurrency. I had a lot of folks ask me about my seasoning blends. So uh, we're doing that at renegadebutcher.com. If you go there and check that out, and we've got a bunch of merch and stuff like that, food freedom type stuff up there too. Uh, and that's all going towards, my recipes, my seasoning blends that are locally blended, and, you know, that'll go out to you, too. So uh, check that out. We're doing a membership-type thing as well, so if people want to get in on that. Um, while for, like, the next month, I'm going to do, if you all are watching this, you can go in and sign up. And uh, there's a coupon code TSP, and that gives you 10% off, whether it's the memberships, lifetime memberships, whether it's anything in the merch, whatever, anything you buy, it's 10% off. So you can cool. check that out, and uh, that's that's our next fundraising thing to kind of keep that all going and uh, get that stuff launched. And I've got like uh, a bunch of other stuff, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and yeah. Twitch and Float. You can find me on, look for Liberty Meat or Renegade Butcher pretty much anywhere. And if I, if you don't find me on one of those two, I'm probably not on that social media platform, but I'm pretty much everywhere. 
Gotcha. And I'll make sure I put all of this in the show notes for today's episode, which will be at the survivalpodcast.com with a link that's in the video notes below about one hour after the live stream ends. It's always funny. <laughs> The link doesn't work. Well, we're still making the show. We're still doing it. <laughs> we're still doing it. So let's start off with the, let's hit the people that I starred here. First of all, Scramblin, oh, yeah. thanks for the, uh, 4.99 super Ooh, chat. I appreciate that. Uh, next up, we've got Jasmine says, I'd love to purchase a virtual tutorial in home processing. I think that's kind of what you're talking about. And I think that depends on how that works. Like if it's, I'm processing a thing and this is how. That's one thing. I don't think this would work with, I'm going to walk you through it with you doing it on the other end. That doesn't, it'd be hard to do it on like a zoom call type thing. I mean, yeah. I'm willing to try to make that happen, but yeah, check with me. Uh, give me a, give me a, a holler. Find me and uh, I, I'll do the whole consultant thing and help you out. I'm hoping to get some more like hands on video content, walkthrough type stuff built up, but uh, that's coming down the pipe. Once I have the whole truck set up, it's going to be. I'll have it kind of like a studio to be able to do that. Uh, in the meantime, though, if you're just looking on the bare bones, like breakdown, how to actually butcher and process and slaughter and everything like that, uh, it's all from a professional standpoint or like an inspected facility, but it's good stuff. Check out the, the Bearded Butchers. They have a great YouTube channel. I love what they're doing. I kind of, I'm kind of feeling like uh, maybe I slept on that whole concept. They popped into that uh, that whole arena, and I should have gone with Bearded Butchers. I feel bad. <laughs> So, um, Tom's, this is not really a question, more of a statement. And we were back when we were talking about the, the statist interference. Uh, right. Tom says the state would prefer to get them on public assistance instead of being self-sufficient. I think yeah. there's some truth to that, but I think like right. we can't forget, like when I had Brian from, uh, choice, uh, Bitcoin, uh, IRAs on, we were talking about, he said lizard people are people too. Uh, <laughs> people are people too as well. Like, so I think like the people you dealt with, I don't think that guy wants to get anybody on anything. Like no. he was, he could have been a bigger dick to you and he wasn't. Definitely. Definitely. No. Individually, he wasn't like a bad person and he was pretty understanding what I'm doing and he, yeah. he likes the idea, but also he's a state employee. His hands he's are trying tied to keep his job. He lives in. Right. 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 He wants to but keep his I job. will say, I think overall, from like the whole hierarchy of it, the whole the, the oligarchs in charge, there is a, a legitimate oh, yeah. war on meat going on. They don't yeah. want people self sufficient. They don't want us raising and processing our own stuff. And there is a concerted effort on a large scale to make this harder. And it you comes will from eat the, the bugs. And, yeah, yeah, you will eat the bugs in the tofu on nothing and be happy. That's, yeah, that's exactly, yeah. exactly. Eat eat your lab meat. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, beyond beyond belief burger, man. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Matt says, I'm currently making plans for a building just for processing meat on the homestead. Is there anything you would suggest that's usually overlooked? Absolutely, and I get this a lot too, uh, and a lot of people will, will hire me to consult just on how to set something like that up if they're serious about that. I will say if you ever want to go down the path of getting – having a state, like a custom exempt approved facility, which could benefit you down the line if you decide you want to sell meat, sell cow shares, try to set it up for that from the get-go. It's not that much more expensive, and it'll make your life easier. Probably the most overlooked thing would be smooth concrete floors and floor drains. Yeah. Put in floor drains that are drained out. Set it up so if you need to hook it into a septic later on, great. I don't care if you gray water it and run it off, whatever. But have that set up and have your floor sloped to those drains Smooth concrete floors. Another thing is, if you can put in a walk-in cooler, do it. And it's not necessarily – you don't have to go out and buy a commercial unit. Um, go to CoolBot. Look up – cool. I think it's CoolBot.com, but Google CoolBot. 
Uh, they, even if you don't use them, there's other ways to do it, but they, as a wealth of information on that website, uh, you can use an oversized, like regular window air conditioner or a, a mini split, set it up, basically replaces the control unit in there and it will hold that room at a walk-in cooler temperature. Uh, all you have to do is insulate it out the right way. Um, and if you can build your, your, uh, room out with, uh, wash down walls, uh, roofing tin works great. Hardy boards and J tracks on the bottom silicone all the gaps so you can just come in and pressure wash the whole thing out. It'll save you a lot of headache. Yeah, I like the idea of thinking yeah. ahead and, you know, making sure that if you want to go commercial, you haven't done something that, that you have to completely rip out and redo. But the folks I worked with really wanted to try to go down that route, and I told them from the get-go we should do floor drains and whatnot, and they, were, they, they decided to skip that because they wanted to get it done. And now that they're in a position where it would benefit them to do that, they're literally looking at from the foundation up, like you would have to wreck the building, jack out the concrete, start over, and it's not worth it. So we just do wild game there now. <laughs> What's your thought on this one? Rachel says, can you age poultry? I, I probably could, but not as long as other things. And I would, I don't see a lot of benefit. The main thing with poultry is, if you've ever gone out, killed a chicken, two hours later, throw it in the crock pot, and you wonder why that thing was eat, like eating rubber. Yeah. All animals will, shortly after after killing them, go into rigor mortis. Everything will. You will, too. Uh, it just the larger the animal, the longer it takes for those muscle fibers to release, the energy to get diffused, and that muscle to relax. So when you take that poultry, for one, if you put it in ice water or put it in a cold environment, that's going to allow that carcass to chill more quickly, which is great for food safety. You know, the faster it chills, the less bacteria that can populate on that on that meat, which is probably why you don't really want to age it. But if you don't do at least that 24 hours on poultry, uh, that meat is still going to be in a tense state. And so it's going to be mm -hmm. tough and chewy unless you cook it forever till it literally falls apart. Uh, I wouldn't recommend aging it that much longer. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think you really benefit at all from aging poultry. Yeah, I'll tell you, when I do, like, cold chickens, like, I'm glad you said ice water because people do freak out about doing beef, or, and you should, shouldn't if you don't have to, right? right? right. I, don't, I don't want to. But when I do, like, when I'm, I'm doing quarters and breast cutlets, I throw them in a bowl full of ice water, and I put a little bit of salt in there. Yep. And yep. I'll let them sit a day, two at the most, completely submerged in that water. Yep. And when I package that chicken, it is not – soaked up a bunch. It, it, it acts differently yeah. than a red meat does. I'll just, it or, does. Or, it does. You know, and you're not going to notice that difference as much on poultry. Red meat, especially say like, you know, deer or cattle or whatnot, you want to keep that dark red, all that flavor. That's where the flavor is in the meat. And because it is, I guess, a denser, drier meat, it will yeah. absorb some of that water. It'll, yeah. you'll see the color in the water change. It'll go darker red. The meat will get pale. It'll get kind of squishy. It's not what you're expecting from beef. Poultry, that's not the issue. And the other thing is, if you buy poultry from the store, that's probably how it was handled. That's what everybody's used to. It's the quickest way to fully chill that carcass. Okay, we got, uh, please do an episode on why to be ordained. That's yes. not a really good question, but yeah, we probably can. That'd be a good uh, one. Why, why not? The first thing why I'll not? why yeah. not, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this wasn't in all caps, but I think it has to do with your Telegram chat. So, and Grumpy oh, says, not I'll, let uh, in the I'll check that out. Yeah, and if uh, it, it's probably one of those deals. Telegram just added the ability for us to be able to pre-approve when people try to join, uh, and that's kind of helping fight off. If you haven't been on Telegram much, there's a huge issue yeah. with bots and channels. Wow. So uh, that's a good way to kind of combat it. 
I turned that on yesterday. That might be what's holding you up. I'll get in there and check and approve everybody that's uh, popped into the day. And if you can't get in, uh, shoot me a message or, or pop over to the website and, and let me know. I'll, I'll get you hooked up. Cool. Vacuum sealer recommendations. You said you were the cheap ones because you're going to throw them away anyway. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we, we kind of covered that. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can find uh, the brand. If I had to recommend one, just you want to buy one vacuum sealer for home use right now, I'd say look at a Weston. Okay. Uh, they've got they've got some that are about commercial, you know, scale almost, but it's a tabletop unit. Uh, and you can get some, try to get one that has at least an 11-inch ceiling bar. Usually you can go 13, 16. Uh, but expect to spend about 400 bucks if you're going to do that. But that's going to be one of those. You buy it, it's probably going to last you 10 years. Yeah, like I said, I'm going to be going to a chamber vac. I'm still going to probably replace my regular vac sealer because, like you mentioned, briskets and all. Now, I'm not breaking down cattle, so I'm right. not going to be freezing them. But I don't know if you've ever made a sous vide brisket, bro. Ooh, but, man. Uh, oh, like, I have. I have. I love sous vide. That's the other thing. If you do sous vide at all, having a vacuum sealer is just. you got to do it. Right? got to do it. It's dynamite. So uh, well, like, the other thing, though, about the tabletop ones, the little ones, is they're portable. I literally brought one with me to Float Fest that I could yeah. run off an inverter out of the U-Haul that I, I cool. ran out of there. And you can – they're portable, and they're handy for that reason. But they do take special bags. They do cost a little bit more in the long run if you're doing a lot of it. And they're a lot more frustrating than a chamber bag. So it's but just I'm just going to say, say, when it comes to sous-viding a brisket, imagine, like, <laughs> medium brisket – it's tender. Ooh, yes. Right? Yeah, it's like absolutely. it's like a Kobe steak. I mean, right? think because you can do all that fat in it. And like, you, you, you can't do that. There's it. no other way you could do that to a brisket. I'm sorry. You, can't no, you can it. get away with medium rare chicken and pork in sous vide and have it still You be leave safe. it there long enough, right? That's yeah. the thing. There's, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with it. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, you can do medium rare pork with it. Uh, with the other thing because, is, if you do marinated meats, like marinated fajitas and stuff, I do a lot of that. I'm telling you what, it's a game changer being able to do that in a vacuum seal bag since it pulls all that air out and it, it literally has that suction effect. It pulls that moisture and that seasoning into the fibers of the meat. You can yeah. do what you could do with like a three or four day marinated overnight vacuum sealing it and throwing it in the refrigerator. So another thing we'll do too, like we'll get steaks and we'll mm-hmm. season them with whatever we want them seasoned with. Then we'll vacuum yep. seal them. Yep. And then you go straight out of the freezer into the sous vide, and that's oh, yeah. going to cook each other. Real I quick, go ahead. go ahead. No, I do the same thing, but I'll be running the smoker a lot for smoking deer sausage. I'll take my steaks, season them up, put them in the smoker while I'm running the cool smoke, so they're already pre-smoked. Yeah. Vacuum seal them, and then all I got to do is sous vide them, sear them, done. Better than anything you could cook on the barbecue pit. Awesome, awesome. So Danielle says... Suggestions for a good meat saw. I use a sawzall, but I'm looking for a bandsaw for something with more fancy cuts. Absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you what, from a portable side, being able to pull a, a bandsaw around with me, dang near impossible until I have the truck set up. So I've gotten really good with a sawzall, and I will say way better than a hand butcher saw, way better than anything else. It takes some learning curve to kind of figure out how to do good cuts with it. But yeah. get a single-handed reciprocating saw. I've got a cordless rigid right now. I love yeah. You can get one from Cobalt, uh, and they a lot of them have a closed chuck that doesn't pull meat up inside of it. It's just got basically a piston that moves in and out of the head. And yeah. since the motor is back behind the handle, you can wash the thing off. You yeah. don't have to worry about killing the motor. That's great, um, but that's I could do a whole episode on that, I'm sure, on my podcast. I will at some point. As far as bandsaws go, though, be cautious. Depends on what you want to do. If you want to do a little bit here and there, there are some cheapos you can get from, like, Cabela's and Harbor Freight or whatnot. 
and uh, they're great, but they're hard to wash down. Don't use uh, like a machine shop bandsaw or a wood bandsaw. You'll never get it cleaned. It'll smell like a dead body forever. You're going to hate life. The band, the blades are not made for it. Yeah. Uh, the ideal thing you can really do is look around at auctions and stuff for restaurants and, uh, and grocery stores that are closing out their self-service meat departments and whatnot. Those things are cheap. Problem with that being most of them are three-phase electric. You may oh. not be able to get that at your house. Yeah. You may have to get a converter. Sometimes the converter is going to cost you more than you pay more for the bandsaw. So, you know, you have to kind of hunt around with it. it. There's no real simple solution for that. But there's probably not a huge need for a bandsaw unless you want to do a lot of bone-in cuts. Unless you really need T-bones, yeah, you could just have New York strips and tenderloins, which are better cooked differently. I, anyway. I so, totally agree, especially with smaller yeah. animals, right? Like if you're talking lamb yeah. and stuff like that, it's right. easy. Now, the other thing is if you get a heavy cleaver – yeah. There's a learning curve on how to do it. Yeah. But you can get a heavy cleaver. You gotta realize most bone in cuts before bandsaws ever existed were done with a cleaver. Yeah. Uh, the biggest trick, if you want to do a bone in cut, lay that section of meat out, score all of the meat with a knife down to the bone first. Yeah. And then cut just the bone, either no. with that saw or that cleaver. If you don't have control with that cleaver, don't be afraid to put it on that bone and use a rubber mallet and tap, 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 tap through that bone. And then we used to use just basically a saw with a meat blade. A handsaw yeah. with a meat blade on here. It'll wear you out after a bit, but it works. It does. Yeah, then, it, I mean, once once cordless sawzalls came out, like, I'm done with that. Yeah. Because yeah, exactly. one of my favorite cuts from a deer is the, the, the shanks. Oh, I love shanks. And I basically, it's mini Osobusco, and I don't have to have them thin like you do for a steer, but I like them. Nope. At least cut them in half so that marrow can get that marrow. I'll, I'll just store that, take a cleaver to them on a, on yeah. a heavy block, pop, that's it. That's all you That do. would work, yeah. Give it your shot. Yeah. So. yeah. All right, Joshua, thanks for being with us today, man. I really hey, appreciate man. it. This, uh, this was a great episode. Everybody watching a live stream, this will go up about an hour from now. It'll be live at the website, so that'll put us at about 3-ish o'clock uh, Central Standard Time if you uh, – if you were on the audio only today and you don't know about my fancy new tool, it will come out tomorrow. But remember, you can always help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, Josh, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Jack. Fun interview. Went longer than I expected, but like I've said when I tried to shorten the show a little bit uh, over the, some of these longer podcasts, when it's with a guest and the guest flow is good, I am not going to stop. I'm going to go as long as, as works for a guest and what they want to talk about. Uh, that was a good one. I really hope you enjoyed it. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap up. Let me remind you guys, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And today I have a great item of the day for you. I, I think you'll really enjoy this one. It kind of fits with what we talked about today. We talked about meat today, and if you want to make meat taste better, put a little smoke on it. Did you hear one of the hacks that Josh gave you there? Cold smoke your steaks, put them in your vacuum seal or your, your chamber vac bags, and then sous vide them. You can even do that, seal them up, label them so you know the ones you've done that with, whatever seasonings you want on them, and then put them in the freezer, and right out of the freezer, right into the sous vide, cooked to perfect temperature, seared off, just a great lifestyle hack. Well, you want a great way to do smoking, whether it's a hot smoke, a warm smoke, or a cold smoke, Pellet smoker tubes. 
I, I love sidewalk smokers. I own a really great one. When I'm doing a lot of stuff at one time, I use it all the But I use my pellet tube smokers way more than my sidewalk smoker at this point. And I use it for cold smoking and for hot smoking, both. Cold smoking is easy. I do cold smoking on my gas grill. You set the smoker to one side. You put the cold smoke items a little bit away from the tube. Light it up with the pellets and let it go. It runs for hours. The Liz-Q, L-I-Z-Z-Q, pellet smoker tube, is the one that I've settled on that's available now. There was actually one I preferred. They don't make it anymore. But I am not one of these guys that buys the cheapest thing I can get. You know that. This one's about five bucks more than the average cost, but you could beat somebody senseless with it, and it would still work. It won't warp. warp. It won't be falling apart by the end of a season or two. It'll last a long time, and I think that's the value to price that you're looking for. I graded this thing in my review on construction design and capacity. It got A's all across the board. I really love this thing. You definitely want to add a smoker tube to your uh, repertoire outdoors. It really broadens things. And even if you have, like I have, again, a sidebox smoker. Um, I also have a Weber kettle that I do a lot of smoking with as well when I want to take kind of that approach. But to be able to just put smoke on something easily, man, I'm going to tell you, uh, the smoker tube gets more work than all the rest of the equipment put together when it comes to putting smoke on things. Uh, again, check it out at tspaz.com. Remember, if it's there, I own it. I bought it. I spent my money on it, and I would do it again, or I would not recommend it to you. That's just the brand of TSP and TSPAS. It is integrity. Also consider joining the Members Support Brigade that is available by going to the survivalpodcast.com, clicking on Members, get a bunch of discounts, everything pays for itself. I'm working right now. These guys, they come and then they go, and then they want to do it, and then they don't get an answer. I am working to uh, set up with you right now a new body armor company. Uh, the one that we had for a number of years kind of went away. I think they just kind of disappeared. Um, but now I've got a new company. I should be bringing them on. And now that I say that, I think maybe I'm the one that left the ball, the, 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 the rope hanging uh, on the last pass on this one. And they're probably waiting on me for a thing. So I will take care of that today. Uh, the Start 9 Embassy uh, servers that we had today, I got a discount for them. Ridge Wallet, JM Bullion, you name I got tons of discounts. Butcher Box. Uh, guys, I've got so many discounts for you. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on members to learn more. And remember, if you are military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, uh, or a first responder, I have a service discount for you. Just email me with TSPC service discount in the subject line before you join, and I'll send you the discount code for that. With that, we have wrapped everything up. Tomorrow we'll have an expert counsel show. Hope you enjoyed it today. I will catch you tomorrow. They gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way